I'm not into podcasts. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. What a hit! Back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Not Up Under podcast. My name is Killian Ginnity. I'm delighted to be joined by our very own Robbie Redmond and Nathan Byrne. Lads, how are we doing? Good, thanks, Killian. Very good, very good. So, Robbie, welcome back, of course. Um, Cheers. And Nate, delighted to have you back again. It's been a couple of weeks for the two of you. Um, and today we will be very, very much leaning on user expertise because... We are looking at Man United. Where did it all go wrong? And why was Ralph Ragnick right about everything? Um, so, okay, let's lay, lay out the scene as it stands. Um, you are somewhat being taken over, maybe, sort of. Uh, you are eighth, which I, I think in the current Premier League is pretty good. Um, you lost 3-0 to your biggest rivals um, and like completely capitulated in that match. And then you just went and completely capitulated against Newcastle. Um, You're getting a bit whingy about referees and VAR. And um, as a Sunderland fan, I think you're just a bit spoiled after 20 years of success and you just need to suck it up and get used to it. That shit's not always going to go your way. Robbie. Oh, where do I start? Um, First one, definitely. I don't agree with the suck it up element. I know that sounds a bit entitled, but when you look at the revenue that Manchester United produce and the status of the club, I don't think they should ever be in a situation where they're going to be on to like probably, I think probably their seventh or eighth permanent manager since Ferguson left. They should never be in a situation where they're regularly missing out on Champions League football, given that they have such a high wage bill. And it's so, I, I don't know, like they shouldn't always be winning the Premier League because that's kind of Man City have been doing that. But I don't think they should be, I don't think they should be accepting this kind of cycle of, nonsense that has been going on for the last 10 years and without getting into it straight away it definitely goes back to the Glazers but what we're seeing at the moment definitely is um, similar to what we saw it with Solskjaer and Moyes and Mourinho and even in a condensed way with Ranić, you you have a manager who is kind of running their road players who I think know that and the message isn't sinking in with them and then you have a football structure uh, sorry a lack of football structure above Tony Hag who's kind of just left them out left him out really to dry. So I think eventually he'll only go one way. I think he'll, he will end up leaving the club. And I don't think, I think he might scrap out the odd win over the next while, but I think come the end of the season, seventh or eighth could be where they will finish up and, and then they'll be back to square one as usual. So um, yeah, it, it hasn't been great so far. Nate, um, I've seen this kind of being bandied around. I want to get your reaction to it as a, uh, uh, a very, very devoted United fan. Um, I is a failed club at this stage. Like, has it all gone wrong? Does it need to be burnt down and rebuilt? Um, I, I think to a certain extent, definitely. Um, I think when you say, are we a failed club? I think if you look at it over probably a 10 to 15 year period, we probably are. Like, I'm not just being honest. You have become um, everything. He's used to slag Chelsea and... Um, Man City about you spent overspending yeah. on players you have a massive turnover you're buying all these lads that aren't actually up to quality and you're turning over managers quicker than most lads are having meals true yeah very true and I think a big part of that is down to the systematic failure of the football club it's like I don't think we've ever 
over the last 10 years had anyone in with a bit of brains rubbed together that, that we thought could could actually push the club forward. I think a lot of it has been, you know, you, like your Mourinho, your Oli, like it's, it's, it's all just quick fixes at the time. But I think as an organisation, you have to look upwards. And I think, you know, with Murto, Arnold, Ed Woodward before, it's, it was always just a stack of cards waiting to fall, really. And I think um, a big part of that was was just, as you said, overpaying. It's only going to lead you down one alley to where every club wants you to overpay. And the money's dried up. Um, like The club could run itself sustainably for a long time. But I think at this point, it's it's got to the point where the, the, the money's dried up and, and the Glazers aren't willing to spend. And that's why we've gone down this last year of looking for an owner. Well, I think this is where we can kind of try to paint a picture for the two people in the world that are unaware of where things are going wrong with Man United. Robbie, um, let's start with like, let's go for the big one, finance and ownership. What is happening with them? Because from the outside, they have money to burn. Yeah, they generate enough money to have a sustainable football club. And that's what's always kind of got me. You see a lot of people... On social media mostly. And most of it is tongue-in-cheek probably taking the piss out of United fans. But I remember Graham Souness was particularly saying, well, well, the Glazers are good owners. They've given Man United money to spend on players. Like, that, that that's a like completely wrong. That needs to be nipped in the bud. The Glazers haven't put a cent of their own money into the club. So it's always been Man United's money that they generate. Now, the Glazers went out and maybe they got those commercial deals in Asia with noodle partners and all these other ways if they've monetized everything but then the club is just hasn't doesn't know how to spend that, and then the actual infrastructure of the club now is is falling apart. Like the stadium is leaking, and um, not that long ago there was talk of mice infesting it. Um, it's it's shown its age, and the Glazers aren't willing to put any money in to renovate it. So that's why where where um, Radcliffe is coming in, they they haven't finished sweating the asset really. Like they they know or they feel that. They can probably eventually, maybe one day, the way TV rights are going, maybe one day they could get ten billion for the club, which isn't bad when you didn't buy it with your own money. And I think that's where the trade off at Radcliffe will be. Radcliffe takes twenty five percent. He takes control of the football side of it because ultimately that's a good thing for the Glazers because they haven't got a clue and the people they've appointed don't have a clue. And in return, they're probably thinking, well, hopefully we'll get the stadium fixed up. This guy will put manners on the football side of it. And then when stuff like the Club World Cup comes in, the new FIFA expanded tournament or this new Champions League where it's a lot easier to qualify and there's more games and the next round of TV rights and if streaming streaming companies start really coming in, then we might get £10 billion for this asset off Qatar or whoever it might be in um, maybe 10 years' time. So they're not finished milking it dry yet, but you can't go too far. If you're looking for the problems, you can't go too far from the Glaziers and the people they've appointed. So... Um, I, I, I'm glad Qatar didn't buy them but also I would have likened to see the back of the Glazers so I'm kind of a bit a bit torn that way yeah and I think um, one of the big things just that you touched on is what we actually saw with the accounts that came out I think it was last month um, the quarterly accounts is Manchester United as a football club have 30 million in the bank a football club of that size they have 30 million like liquid cash in the bank like half of if if they were to sack Ten Hag tomorrow, half of that money would be gone, and just like just just to put in proportion, like that's how much money they have in their reserves. So like 
the 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 day to day running of the club is obviously self sufficient, but like to put that in perspective, like I I'd be shocked if like as as you support Killian, if Sunderland didn't have more money in the bank, you know, like I think what 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 Rob touched on with the the play for the big ten billion figure that keeps getting thrown around, I think I do agree that that is probably the play, um. Obviously, they tried it with the Super League and the backlash they got off that. But I do think um, with the new streaming rights and and the ever-growing size of the Premier League that they see that ultimate payday. It's just, as you, like as a Glazer hater at this point, uh, I, I hope they never get to that point where, where they can cash in for $10 billion. But, so... Obviously, there is issues with the Glazers' ownership, how they acquire it and all that. They haven't been afraid to spend on players. Like, they have invested. Um, and ultimately, it's the structure that you can say that they put in place. But, like, they haven't put in a sporting director while every other club in the world has. They have no identity to go and sign players for like you're si- signing Ten Hag to play the Ajax way and then he comes in and goes yeah we can't do that because what you have there is fucking shite and then he goes and sign players that don't fit into his own system like Rob it is all a bit of a mess and I don't think you can really hammer the Glazers too much on that you, you could say like what Sunderland had with their uh, American owner um, Ellis Short you spent all the money and maybe the heart was in the right place maybe for the wrong reasons, but ultimately it's all about growing the club and getting it into a better position. But that they just well, don't have yeah. enough of a clue to put the right people in charge. Yeah, and this is one of the issues with my United, and it's a bit like actually discussing the Ireland football team, and it's why Gary Neville and Carragher had that argument last week. Like, Carragher just wanted to talk about Ten Hag and the match that they just watched, and Neville was kept talking with the Glazers. And you kind of need to separate the micro issues, which is Ten Hag, and the macro, which is the Glazers. And... We're talking purely with the Glazers. Like it goes back to a lot of it goes back to Ferguson. They wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Ferguson, and that's not slanderous or not to say that. Like Ferguson got into a dispute with the previous majority shareholders, Magnier and McManus. It opened up an avenue for the Glazers to buy up the club, and it wasn't just that, but that was like the, very much the catalyst. But anyway, Ferguson was the smokescreen for them for ten years. Alex Ferguson was there, so my United were hitting a certain level he was the director of football he was the brains behind the operation he i I read the book about the glaciers and apparently one of the first things ferguson did was when they were buying up shares he was on the phone to them about securing wayne rooney so ferguson had that hotline to them and back then he probably didn't need a director of football how many clubs actually had one but by 2013 they needed one like liverpool had one man city were getting better chelsea had one and the power was shifting away from the manager. And instead of empowering a director of football with a coach who could play in a certain style, first of all, they tried to get like a, a, a deals version of Ferguson and Moyes, who was never a good appointment. They went with Ten Hag, who had never worked in that type of structure. He always had players buying, or um, directors buying players for him. And ultimately, I, I don't know if I have any sympathy for them because they knew best practice, or they should have seen best practice from other clubs all over the world. And instead, he just chose to empower Woodward, who Ed Woodward, who was just a suit, like a yes man, an accountant. Like he wasn't even a football fan. Apparently, he's a rugby fan. Um, he, he, he got the Dallas in though. Like he got the commercial and the things. He was, you cannot along. question his his commercial revenue uh, acumen. Like they really did sweat the asset. And 
for whatever reason, whatever money that went, they went on, was wasted on players, most of it probably, but they did, they monetized Man United, which I suppose that is their prerogative as business people, but they never, there was no football intelligence brought in whatsoever. Like the first season, for example, this anecdote, the first season of um, without Ferguson, this might sum her up, like they could have signed Fellaini, um, Marwan Fellaini from Everton for a buyout clause, Every, um, Moyes dithered on it because he used to always dither when it came to signing players wasn't sure they couldn't sign anyone else so they went back to Everton and then paid more than what the buyout clause was for a player they didn't really want and there's been a million cases like that there's been everyone from signing Marcus Rojo and not knowing that he had an assault charge um, Alexis Sanchez Pogba like and you can say oh well it was the players or the managers like I used to for example I would have always been wasn't a fan of Mourinho. I'd say he's my least favourite post-Ferguson manager. And I include um, even Ranić nearly in that. Um, but ultimately, Mourinho was a, was a, wasn't a cause of United's issues. He was a symptom. It was a short-termism. Get someone into paper over the cracks and never kind of apply any type of football intelligence. Because the Glaciers, they're never, I don't think they're ever meant to be long-term owners. And I'll let you come in there and they, they are parasites or vulture capitalists what you would call I think you'd call they buy something for low with borrowed money and they flip it and sell it and they were never meant to really run the club the way I know they get a lot of stick but FSG has ran Liverpool very intelligently and they've appointed Klopp and directors of football whereas the Glazers I, I, I see them more as like almost like absentee landlords like they bought a property and they're just trying to basically flip it for a higher price and that's where the issues have come yeah, and I, I think one of the big things um, that, you, that you alluded to earlier was one of the big reasons why Manchester United have not had a sporting director is because Joel Glazer gets off on the fact that he's playing the biggest game of football manager in, on the planet. Careful, man. Him and Ed Woodward. Oh, no, no, so no football manager slander on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joel Glazer and uh, Ed Woodward literally ran that club like spin the wheel, which player does it land on? We want him. It, like it was their ultimate fantasy and it, it worked for them for such a long time like to the to, obviously when Sir Alex uh, left it, it went downhill but for, for years after that they were still playing the same game you know they, if they wanted Di Maria like all these big players like Pogba who, they, they went out and bought the money and they looked like the big shots you know what I mean but because there was no structure and it was just a game of football manager you never saw the results on the pitch and to me, that's sort of unforgivable. And it's the reason why that family is so hated in Manchester. It's because it's it's their ultimate toy that they get to play with. Um, and, a, and a huge part of that is the reason why they won't sell for six billion is because Joel Glazer loves running that club, like micromanaging it day to day like it is. Which it is his, but, you know, it's, it's there's a point where it's like gross negligence and it's like, the club's in a billion quid debt, like, like sort it out, mate. Like it's it's your like it's it's your company, sort it out. But they they've no desire to do it. So they they got to play their game for years, and now they they get to look to 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 cash out. Just picking on one of the points, Rob, that you mentioned there, and kind of the general vibe between the two is 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 Ed Woodward maybe more to blame for the situation that they're in than the Glazers because was he not meant to be the one that was hired to be like handholding them and kind of like here's how you run a football club and he put in no systems 
Well, he was actually kidding. He was part of the takeover. He worked for J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs. I should correct me. One of the big banks, hmm. and he was part of the takeover. And he obviously liked the cut of him, and he got him on board to kind of increase the value of the club. And then when David Gill left, he moved into that position. But David Gill, now David Gill doesn't come out with this um, smelling the roses. Him and Ferguson, I think, are getting. They get a bit of a free ride a lot. Maybe fans have forgotten and there's bigger issues at play. But they legitimised the Glazers for 10 years, basically. Mm. Ferguson was the one, the smokescreen, as I said. And Gill obviously had connections through football. He could get deals done. Woodward doesn't have those. Like He's a he's a, he's an accountant like or he's a money guy and he's good at that. And you could say he's at fault for not going and getting a director of football. But we don't know. As Nate said, Like it seems like Joel Glazer likes to have his finger on the button. He likes to be involved in decision-making. And ultimately, yeah, they were making money through commercial deals, but there was never any evidence of that in the stadium. Or on the pitch, there was of a lot of flops, but there was never any evidence of actually this. they know what they're doing here. I, I do, I've do. i thought for years that you could get five Man United fans who run the club better. Just any random five Man United fans would probably do a better job. Like even down to it's a small stat, but like it's actually not small, but it seems minor nearly. So, Man United's net spend since twenty twelve is like a billion. Like Liverpool's mm. is three hundred forty seven million. <laughs> Man United have only sold two players a profit. One of them is Dan James. The other one was Dali Blind. In this period, like this is up until just before Ten Hag took over, and no team in that time have had fewer players leave their club than Man United. One hundred seventy four between. 2011 and 2022 so like the club just it doesn't even function as a football club it, it's it's so embarrassing and that's where the culture comes in which we'll get to of the players not giving a shit and ma- born and true managers and born and true coaches and and just going from crisis to crisis and every so often they'll pull something out of the bag but ultimately it's it's really going nowhere as long as these guys are here and i don't know I think my opposition fans just look at United fans and think they're being spoiled or wherever it is. Like, it's maybe a part of that, but it, the club really has been ran into the ground. And if they weren't as rich as they were, my United, the way they're being run, they should nearly be relegated. That's the level of negligence it's been. Just very quickly on that, I can tell you exactly why. Being a rival fan. Now, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Man United because Sunderland and Man United have had a very good working relationship over the years. Like we've had some very good loans from you and lots of transfers and all that kind of stuff. Anna Diallo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Danny Welbeck before, Johnny Evans before that. Yeah. Less so Jan Ozai, but then we got the, we bought the likes of uh, Donald Love and Paddy McNair, John O'Shea, Wes Brown, like varying degrees of success but we've had a good working relationship when Sunderland was being mistreated we got to League One with successive relegations our success was finished seventh when you complain oh we're not finishing top four after spending 600 million in guts of three years or whatever for us it's kind of just like yeah we nearly didn't exist yeah (laughs) 
for for me it's like I honestly I, I don't necessarily obviously I want them to win the Premier League but it's not going to make or break me I'm older than they so I've seen them win everything like I've seen them win Premier Leagues I've seen them win Champions Leagues I've scratched that itch a few times mm. I just want them I just want the team to be in a better condition I want to, be able to enjoy watching them the top four I just think they should be there given the outlay that the Glazers the money at the disposal the size of the club like that they should be there. It's not. Um, it's just. It's more just the general how the club is run. It's got to the stage where I'm like, if it meant my United getting relegated to get rid of the Glaciers, I would. I would genuinely take it. I would take all the slaggings that come with that. It, it, isn't that the big frustration for for all United fans? Is that the money is there and it's being spent, but it's being spent wrongly. That's the frustration. Is that you know we go United spends money this and that, but if you spent in the right way, we would be winning. And we're not. And that's the frustration is we sit back every summer and go, we're buying this pair, this pair, this pair. Where, where's the strategy? Like, and I think that's that's the biggest frustration going back is like the money is being spent, but it's not being spent properly. And it's the reason that's being done is so people like Ed Woodward and the Glazers and whoever, like Murdo to an extent and Arnold to an extent, they get to live out their like dream of owning this big company and running it like, like, because ultimately they know they're not they're on they're on borrowed time. So while they're there, they're just gonna they're gonna get their best out of it and, and move on. Like I think I I looked into it. Woodward now is is at an esports company in Dubai. That that's 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 the way he's gone after managing the biggest club in the world. So yeah. it's 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 truly a travesty, and it's the biggest annoyance is the money that gets thrown against United, fair enough, but I don't think it's justified in the point that it's never been spent right. And like, throw the money argument at us if it is spent right, but it it hasn't been. And before we go any further, Killian, and not to just one of the last things on it, is that I think this is a, it's a crime against football, what they've done. This could have been any club. Like they took her over with leverage, borrowed money, secured against the club. They effectively made it a laughing stock and they're going to escape now with billions like and it's just it's not an, it, this is football shouldn't be like this it's not even a romantic notion of football it's become a product but this is just it's all it's worse than sports watching that this happen it's that's just a, little, like that's actually a good point is if it was any other club they would be relegated and even any other club on the planet wasn't a billion quid debt now i know you look at barcelona and they are but majority of the other clubs wouldn't survive and that's just the fact is if a glazer happened to another club, I don't know if they'd be there right now. And and that, that's the harsh reality. Now, Nate, the, there's few men with a better finger on the pulse than yourself. Is there any hope on the horizon for the likes of a Woodward to not happen again or the, maybe a, a pathway for the Glazers to be removed? Um, I don't think Ed Woodward will ever happen again. Um, purely because... Part of me does believe in Sir Jim and as 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 we said, like we we can cry out for like good people to be put in positions, but if he comes in and does that, that's that's half the job done in my opinion. But when is he coming is, in? Soon. Soon. Um <laughs> it's, it's in the motion. I like I don't have a day. I can't go like oh he's coming in on the the eleventh of November. Mm. But it is getting closer. And I think as United fans, we just need to like look out and just be like, okay, there's a bit of hope at the end of the tunnel if we can do that. But I think a big thing is if it does go through, Sir Jim needs to go, come out and go, 
here's the long term plan. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's my my expectation and what I'm after. And here's how we get the glazes out. That's what I want to see. Now, the other kind of issue that regardless who who is owning the club that they're going to have to inherit or deal with is um, the playing staff and those associated with them. It seems to be all a little bit, I don't want to say toxic, but definitely kind of fractured, Robbie. Yeah, it goes back to a bit like what Nathan was saying and how this culture, like the fish rots from the head. Like So Arnold, Richard Arnold and John Morton and Darren Fletcher, all these other guys that are involved behind the scenes, as Nate said, they're going through the motions. They know there's going to be a, a clean sweep maybe when Ratcliffe comes in. They know they'll move on. It's no different to the players. like No different at all. Like So there's no sense that any of them are buying into what Ten Hag is saying maybe it's just when things get tough it's easier for them just to kind of down tools completely and also for example like say players like McTominay and um, Maguire like Ten Hag wanted to get rid of them now they're nearly key players for him so mm. even though they're playing well he's, he's lost them you know that way it's going to take a lot to get them back on side because the club doesn't have the mechanisms or doesn't have the intelligence or the the contacts to, to sell players that the manager doesn't want and they don't have the capabilities to bring in. Well, they have brought in a lot of players he wanted, which isn't a good thing. Um, they should be bringing in players for the club. But it's it, I think the club, the players know, they're not idiots, they're around. They know that, basically, this guy might not be here for long and the next guy will come in or however it might be. And if, if the next guy doesn't come in, they have their long contracts. So, for example... Like Sancho, like Sancho's on the contract. Name might correct correct me for another three or four years. He he can wait a few months for Ten Hag to get the bullet or whatever it might be. So the manager's authority is instantly eroded. There there seems to be probably factions in the club, which is inevitable because Ten Hag has brought in players he worked with previously, or knows because the club can't get him anyone else. And there, obviously, that might rub up players the wrong way. Such so as Sancho, I'd say Sancho was annoyed that. Well, he wasn't playing well, but either is Anthony. Mm. But Anthony still starts. And and it's just stuff like that. It's it's petty stuff. It's stuff that you'd see in nearly any workplace. It's just that these guys are on secured five year deals and ultimately it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to really matter. Like you know, as I said, you don't you see United players pushing to leave United and um, other than Ronaldo. Um I was telling that stat like no there's been no play, club have had fewer exits because they're so well paid and they know that the manager every 18 months or so he's going to be under pressure and he might be gone so that's where I think where the culture comes from again it stems, stems from the Glazers and it's Ten Hag he, he's tried to break it by being kind of strict and I just I, it just doesn't seem to be working Nate do you reckon that Ten Hag can make it work or does he need to be potentially moved on or just a complete overhaul of the squad to make Ten Hag work it seems to be one or the other um, I do think he can make it work. Um, I'm still behind Ten Hag. I know, I know you two probably have opinions on that, that that differ. But I think ultimately he needs some support above him. That would be the first step that I'd like to see. And also try, what he needs is someone to try and reestablish his, help him reestablish his authority over the squad. Um, whether that's making a move on Jaden Sancho and going like, listen, pal, you're out. We're paying you off. We don't care. We're setting a standard here. We're going with it. Um, something needs to happen above him that gives him the control back because 
I think ultimately the control has been taken away from him over that squad through no fault of his own. And I think it's purely because I, I think I think the people above him, your Murto, your Arnolds, I think the way that they've been running the club the last few months has diminished his authority. Um well like and and you can include the glazes in that as well. Putting the club through a year um a year cycle of selling the club like that's only going to cause unrest in the squad like yeah. like you know what I mean like the whole company's up for sale like I, I've i always had this line and I, you guys will probably disagree with it but I genuinely think that Ayrton Hags managed the club through one of the most unsettling periods in its recent history purely because of the club for sale and Ronaldo leaving like all of the, all of this stuff combined it's been such a turbulent time the Mason Greenwood saga all of it like there's so much that we can go into that 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 spans such a wide period over the last two years that like we wouldn't have enough time on the podcast to do it mm-hmm. um it does have a little bit but, of an air of a Mike Ashley at Newcastle end of days that kind of like oh every year it's up for sale and then it's back down again and that's why yeah. I think that's like I'm kind of, I think I'm trying to maybe get at with like the questions about Ratcliffe is will it actually happen and if it does will it make any difference because like well like, it will one hundred percent happen um it's just we can't like we can't predict what 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 like what will happen in terms of after he buys it what impact it will have whether the Glazers have a clause in there where they can rip back control. Like, I think one thing is these, the Glazers are parasites. Like, they're going to have some way to get control back. They're not just going to give it up for no reason. Like, 100% they will have a way. Like, you don't just give up control of a whole part of your business when you still own, like, 50% of it. Like, it it just doesn't happen. So... I'm more worried on that part. What what way the Glazers will try and scheme the deal into their advantage? Because ultimately it will be. I don't think we all know that. I think by the time that if or when that does happen, I think Ten Hag will be a long forgotten memory or a little blip in the past. Because I think if Ratcliffe can get in by New Year, he'll have his sporting director rumors that you've told me before is Paul Mitchell and then his other ones for the running of the club. But most importantly for football fans I think it's Paul Mitchell who was the main scout behind getting Son to Tottenham and he's part of the Red Bull group and Monaco now very very well respected dude despite like not having a big playing career which just kind of shows how quickly he's established a reputation for being a, a mover and a shaker Um, that like if give him January them two together and if there isn't the kind of a gelling or uh, like uh an indication that they can work together or signed like that that Ten Hag will deal with the players that is signed for him that uh, I think they'd ultimately have to get him gone by the end of the season because why waste the summer Robbie? I think yeah exactly I think what Nathan's saying is true like when you take a step back you look at the context of the club and, and how many fires Ten Hag has had to fight over the last year and a half since he's been in it's a lot like and it's not it wouldn't be easy for any manager and that's where I actually looking back here I wrote a piece when Ten Hag took over just before when he accepted the offer when there's reports that he's coming out that and the headline is Eric Ten Hag's Man United demands show we why he should reject the offer so basically Ten Hag was looking for assurances saying he wants to refresh the squad and add younger players and I'm saying, I was saying at the time, basically Ten Hag is asking Man United to act like a coherent elite football club, but there's no evidence to suggest that they can do that. 
and I'm not reading out to say I'm right, but because anyone could see that clear as day. If you look at compare, like basically with Ten Hag, is that what he wants to do, what he needs to do is when he came in was overhaul the squad. He wants to, if he does want them to get to play like Ajax, there's so much needs to go into that. It was, it was never just the manager, it was also the sporting director, the CEO, all that went into it. Ten Hag doesn't have the level of support to do that. Like, so for example, Klopp took over in 2015 and he decided, didn't make any transfers till the following summer, just took a look at the squad and then you had players like I'm looking here, Joe Allen sold, um, Benteke a year after signing sold, Balotelli gone on a free and this goes on. Every summer he was changing the squad, Lucas Leiva, Mamadou Sacco fell out with Klopp on a pre-season tour so, Two, three days later, he was off to um, Palace for 26 million. Coutinho didn't fall out with him, but sold. And I could keep going through this. Like Basically, what the point of it is that, you, well, obviously Klopp was, I think he's on a higher level than Ten Hag mm. at that point. He, But also he had the support of the club. That meant if he did want to make changes, you, you, you couldn't do what Sancho's doing right now. You couldn't just hang around in the background because you'd be gone because... The, the club would have the, the means to sell him and then the means to find a replacement. Probably cheaper, probably better, and bet more committed. Man United just don't have that. So Ten Hag, I think, has always been onto a hiding to nothing, really. And I do think when Radcliffe comes in, as Nate's saying, it's going to happen. And it sounds like the Glaciers are almost subletting their football, the football side of the business out of. It's like, and which is a madness when you think about it, and there's so many questions around it. Radcliffe, like anyone's gonna to want to make a change, and where do you make a change? The the dugout, like the manager, it's the first place. It's the most visible aspect of the club. So, it could be someone like Deserby with Paul Mitchell or Michael Edwards as a sporting director. But I do think it will happen because by the time ten, the help that Ten Hag needs arrives, I think it could be too late. You know, it could be out of Champions League. Half the squad could hate, should hate him, could hate him. And I just think it might, um, he just might be unfortunate, essentially. But when, when, Ten, when Ten Hag came into the club, did, did you actually think like that we would eventually play like Ajax? Because I, I never thought no. that, that was possible. And no, not at all. Like, Ajax is a club that's been run the same way in the same mould for years on pun years. Right through to their... To, to, sorry. Uh, to their... Under twelves, like they play the same yeah. football throughout, like, and I think a big thing is he was never coming into that 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 homely feeling at United. It, it was always going to be turmoil, and I think his first season at United, when you look back, it was a big success. We won a trophy. Our defense was solid for such a big part of that season. Like when you look at it in an isolated view, it was such a success. Now, obviously, it's gone wrong this season. But I think you have to factor in the injuries. Um, I think I saw something like our our um, our most used defense this season is Regulon, Lindelof, Maguire, and um, Dallow. Like that's nothing like our defense last year, and that's purely down to the injuries of the players. I know you can't you can't always go to injuries and go like, look at this. This is the reason why we're doing bad. But I do think it adds a bit of perspective to it. And I, I just think like it, the Ajax thing is a bit now, like I see from online fans, it's a bit of the stick that's been used to hit them, but it was never going to be that. And I think that, that a lot of people of knew Ajax that. Ajax-based players now, so they do though. 
that's what gets me a little bit, Nate. And I, I do have sympathy for him, and it's never going to be that. And I said, I said that at the time, and that's why I didn't actually want them as the manager. I would have saw someone like, and people laugh at me, maybe. I thought Pochettino because he had the charisma, the uh, force of personality. He didn't actually like working with a director of football, and he has managed in the Premier League, which. I know that sounds a bit Brexity, but he knew the, the landscape and he knew what type of players would work and the Tottenham team he had was very physical. And I just thought, okay, I could see that Tottenham team, that way it was assembled, working at Man United. With Ten Hag, I never saw that. If you weren't hiring him to get him to play like, like Ajax and have that success, I don't know what else he kind of brought to the table. And then what was going to happen behind the scenes always meant that he was set up to fail. So he's been criticised for using an agent he knows or signing players he worked with before, he probably has no choice. Like, because there's no, there's no other football. Like, it's Darren Fletcher and guy um, John Morta, who I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, I think Moyes brought him to the club. Like, they're not exactly, they're, they're not exactly, like, at the cutting edge of their, of their their job. Like, you've a novice and someone who has never been in this position. Fletcher's the novice, ex-player, and your guy has never done this before. He's not well, even director of football. He's football director, or whatever that means. Yeah, like, you're right. Moyes did bring him to the football. And, like, that was one of the things that irked me when he did get the job. Is like, it's just promoting from within because they're unwilling to go out and get someone that would actually stick to their guns and want to do a yeah, good job. Because and that's what that's what gets me with, with Ten Hag. Sorry, Nate, to cut across you. And if Ten Hag was the elite coach that was required, I think he'd, he'd run a mile from that job. And I know it's Man United, but... He would look at that and go, "Oh my God, I, I am gonna be a human shield here for the failures yeah. of this club." Like because they've no sporting director, they don't have a clearly identified style of play. Like and there's a lot of egos. Like look at it. Remember the last few months of Randy Ignite, like and the 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 leaks coming out and the the atmosphere. Yeah, it was it was horrible. It was such oh. a uneasy period of the football club. Uh, Ranik sort of got, got got the bullet because he spoke his mind like and I think that's that's a, a current factor at United that's been that we've seen over and over again is if you speak your mind at that football club you you, you get you're gone like you're, you're literally gone and I think what was it the big speech like I think Ranik done what was it like a 45 minute press conference at the end of last season where he literally went okay uh, we need open heart surgery we need 10 to 15 yeah. new players Um. The minute he said that, he was gone. Like, Joel yeah. Glazer was not going to sit around and keep him at that. And make no mistake, that was Joel Glazer that got rid of him. It's it's someone that he sees that undermines his leadership and the way he's running the football club. Um, and I think a big thing about it is, I think probably the toxicity at the end was probably used against him in the way that, you know, was there that much toxicity or was the club using that as the excuse to get rid of him? And I think... A big part of it was they just they just weren't willing to 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 like to go in that direction where you give it to someone else and like you let them run the business for for the good of the business and uh, I think um what what he said that he said to uh, Murta that he wants Lu, uh, Louis Diaz um like Doing so many pre- yeah Vlahovic like so many players in that one press conference and it's, he didn't get any of them. Because so he was it's... hung out with the joy, like, the way Ten Hag is in a way. And it came to a stage where he had to protect himself. Because my United managers become memes. Like, Moyes is, became a meme. Like, um, Solchar became a meme. Even Mourinho became a meme. Like, he was he was miserable. Like, he absolutely hated it. 
like and so Raniak, who was a director of football, hired to be a coach and then wasn't hired to be a director of football, got probably got to a stage where it was like, I'm not gonna be defending these guys and I need to speak my mind and this is what's needed. And I think I do think Ten Hag could have maybe could have worked with Raniak because he has got the connections and he has got that overview. But United just didn't go for that. And that's why I always felt Ten Hag is kind of on a hiding to nothing. But also in context, that does make what he did last year impressive. Like, you can't doubt that. I just feel now that his disciplinarian approach, wrongly, it's it, they should be listening to him, but I just don't think they are listening to him the way they were before. It was the Ranić thing that kind of, to me, proved that, like, the club, in its current guise anyway, is not for fixing. Because, like... He, he is proven to be a very good coach like look what he's done with Austria look what he did with Leipzig like he was always their go-to and he always did well he's the one that actually got them promoted to the Bundesliga um, like there's a reason why he's influenced the likes of Tuchel and Klopp and like he knows what he's talking about in Germany he's known, he's known as the professor like because he used to yeah. go on TV and explain football um, and he's proven at a director's level like what he did with the Red Bull group Bearing in mind, he was over-controlling Salzburg, uh, Leipzig, and New York at one stage. Like, the man is incredible at what he does. And then he went into Man United, and they said, let's just not allow you to do that, and let's not listen to you, and you just go and play a bit of football while we decide what we're going to do. It, I, I genuinely think it is the worst use of a footballing brain that I've probably ever seen. It's unbelievable to hire the director of football on that level who can get a literal energy drink to be a super successful <laughs> football team and just go, you just coach this team of, of players who are absolutely miserable. One of them's Ronaldo, by the way, mm. and he, he, he can't accept that he's in decline and he's not happy. You go fix that and then we will go look for the real manager and then we won't listen to anything you have to say. It's honestly, it's one of the definitely top five of worst examples of how the glaze has been operating. Um, but but do you know Stagan. why do you know why his his appointment came like where it came from? They sacked Oli at was it at that Watford game? Was it four, yeah, no, four November or five? twenty one. Yeah. Um and they they didn't expect to sack Oli after that. They expected him to win that game. And what happened is they sacked him and they went, Oh God, who are we gonna get in now? And the fans cried out for Anik because not only could you get the manager, but you could also get the the person to lead the club after it. And the gla- and the Glazers and the people at the time wanted to get a bit of the fire off them and they went, okay, let's get this fella. I don't think they ever had any iota to give him that job after it. I really don't. I think it was always going to be, here, he signed that NDA and that contract, let's get him gone after and you won't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. I, I really that, do think that's that. That's only worse. That makes it worse. But, yeah. um, let's play what Ranyuk should have been. I, now, I'm going to be Sir Jim Ginnity. Um, I'm coming into the club. <laughs> I'm going to put some areas of the club. You tell me what you think should happen. Um, some of them are going to be pre- fairly self, self-explanatory, but I'm going to prompt you on these. Um, Robbie, I'm going to start with you. Sporting director. Yeah. Who should um, I be hiring? Who, Michael Edwards, who was the sporting director at Liverpool, football, mm. uh, director of football. Um, and it wasn't just him, but he was definitely the spearhead of what like the success Klopp has kind of had. And it, he also was smart enough, intelligent enough to build 
a brilliant like data analytics department around them. Like Liverpool had at one point, a good few of them have left, but there was guys who used to work for NASA on their recruitment team and analytical team who would like design algorithms as ways to measure what players to buy. Meanwhile, my United were just going, we'll sign Alexis Sanchez and get to play the piano. So that, that was the <laughs> level of, of Liverpool's expertise. And Michael Edwards was the figurehead for that. And he, he hasn't been in, it's not that he hasn't been at work. He's not employed. Like he's, I'm sure he's doing fine, but he's left Liverpool. I think he's like, I think he's doing more of a consultancy now. I think he's just started a, basically a director of football for hire company. It's like, we'll go in for yeah, a couple which, of months. and Yeah. Now, that would be my first choice given how it went with Liverpool. Um, so I think that's a no-brainer. And the guy, Paul Mitchell, as well, he was at um, Spurs and Monaco and, as you said, Red Bull. And it's just someone with a brain, someone with contacts throughout Europe, not just, like, going to ring up an agent, someone who can actually piece together something. And the other one would have been Dan Ashworth, but he's, mm. he was the Newcastle director of football. He was at Brighton and he's left Brighton and he's at Newcastle. And he's not going to leave Newcastle, let's be honest. But he would have been the option there as well. So there's players, there's people out there who can do it. And that would be the absolute first part of call more than any manager. If I knew this guy was going to come in, clear out half the squad, I would be go, oh yeah, let's give Ten Hag another 18 months to try make his team but so I don't know if it's going to happen, but that would be my first choice. Nate, who should I be hiring? Um, I'd, I'd stick with um, Radcliffe's uh, port of call on it, and I'd, I'd go uh, Paul Mitchell purely because I think it makes sense. I think he's done the rounds now, and I think he's ready for that next step. Um, he's a Manchester native as well, so I think he'll fit right back in. It's it's not going to be anywhere where he he's he's out of place. It will be. Going home to his to his old to his old uh, city, so I I think give him the job. Um, I'm I've been impressed with what I saw from him. Um, less so Monaco, but I don't know how much he can do at Monaco. Mm. Um, yeah, isn't their owner that, technically on like he he has to stay away from football because he's a Russian oligarch? Yeah, because I know yeah. one of Sunderland's co-owners is kind of his interim chairman. Uh, once a Tory. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, but I've been very happy with what I saw from them, from the Red Bull group and and Tottenham as well. So, I I I throw the 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 leap of faith at him for him going forward. I think. Okay. Um. Managers, should should we keep Ten Hag, Robbie? If so, for how long? And if we do get rid of him, who should be replaced? Okay. Let's say Radcliffe takes over in. Let's say January. Let's say he, I, me, I am Jim Radcliffe and I'm taking over right now. Oh, it's happening right now. Okay, so Jim, what we're going to do here is I think you'll give him January, clear out um, Deadwood. I think you'll give him next summer and I would be giving him, empower him maybe to, or even take away power from him just to revamp the squad and give him another season, maybe. But I, I don't see him... I don't see him as that elite level coach that will restore my United, even if he's given the support. So I would be looking for someone like Deserby, who is probably the most innovative coach um, working at the moment. Brighton concede a lot of goals, so that, that would worry me. But otherwise, I think he's been an astonishingly good appointment. And that's who I'd be looking for. Um, but I wouldn't be fully against Ten Hag having another another crack at it with that support behind them. But if you gave me a dream candidate, it would be 
the director of football and someone like Deserby. Would Deserby be a bit, bit expensive to try and get? I would imagine so, and so will so will Evan Ferguson. But these things cost money, so <laughs> if Jim needs to put his money where his mouth is, so I, that's that would be where I'd go for nearly regardless of the cost. Nate, um, Ten Hag, are we keeping him? If so, for how long? And if we do get rid of him, who's to replace him? Well, not a surprise to me. We're keeping him. Um, Eighteen months minimum. Um, I think give him the three year mark, and in that time if it doesn't work out in the end of the three months uh, sorry 18 months we go okay he's not the right man but at least in that 18 months he can restructure the football club leaving in a better place and move on but I do think he's the right man if if things change uh, above him so I'd give him 18 months at least I think I think that's where I'm at and if at the end of that is there any managers that would kind of tickle your fancy to maybe kind of like should we be kind of having a wee chat with somebody just in case um, Deserby is always the one that gets thrown about. Um, I'm not sold on him yet. Okay, I know that sounds a bit crazy, and I know people will be at me in the comments for this, but I don't think we we haven't seen him at a at a big club. Um, we've seen him at Brighton. Um, now Brighton is is in the Premier League and doing well, but I think once you go to someone at stature, Man United, it's a totally different ball game. Um. Um, who would I go for? Graham Potter's name has been bandied about. Oh no, no, he's not charismatic enough. You're trying to set me up there. You know my opinion on that. <laughs> no way. Very, um, very good manager though. If you want to feel yeah. good factor, he can get it. There isn't a manager that sticks out to me right now. Um, there is one that I, I have in my back pocket. I think who's Rob, that? you you might appreciate this. Um, Gallardo, the River Plate, the former River Plate manager. Oh. He was there for, I think, nice. six or eight years and had them just fucking absolutely really, really, really strong in South America. But in a Bielsa kind of way, it was a style of football where people are kind of going, oof, you're, you're a thinker of the game. Um, because... That is the most left of centre show. I love it. <laughs> it's proper football manager stuff. Um yeah. So check him out. I think I think he'd be a fun appointment. I think he would be a Pochettino to Spurs, but a lot more intelligent. That kind of like, wow. yeah, you're taking a high risk, high reward. Like he could fucking revolutionize. Um, or it could end up being a Pellegrino to Southampton. Um, but I, 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 th- I like to think of the former. Uh, we're going to move on to players. So obviously we've all agreed the squad is in need of... Um, a little bit of TLC. Um, Robbie, three players that need to be gone yesterday. Oh, God. Three players need to go. I, it's not even, it's not the, I don't want to say it because I don't want to like, be jumping this, on it. This doesn't have to be about playing. It could be a personality. It could be just not the right fit. It could be the cost. Just three players that you think, get rid of these and we're going okay. to be in a much better space. I'll get rid of the obvious one for us. I think it'd be the best for everyone. Uh, is Maguire and it's not, I think he's done well since he came back into the team I I think he's been tri- treated harshly but I still think ultimately at his best he's never going to be what Man United need particularly if you get a new kind of coach or ever or particularly if Ten Hag gets to play more of the type of football he wants to play Maguire will be the one the next one's going to be controversial and I know Nathan might jump on me I don't think I think Rashford would be one I'd be looking to sell oh. so 
Yeah, I would, I, I'd be creating a market where Newcastle give you over 100 million for this guy because I don't think he's actually as good as people might think. I, I, I think his body language isn't great on the pitch. He's had a few little things, like minor stuff now. He's apologised for him, like failing the fitness test the other day. And, and like, also you look at him, he's turned 26 now. Like, he's a very athletic player. He doesn't have a lot else to his game, I don't think. Now, he could have been, I think he could have been an elite centre-forward under particularly when Van Hal was coaching him and he was playing through the middle and he reminded nearly of the flashes of the young Brazilian Ronaldo but he's never developed this game and if you watch him play now it's it's very 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 frustrating so he'll pick up the ball he'll keep his head down he'll ignore other players dribble shoot usually miss <laughs> so I know he had a great year last year but I don't know if he's on that level of like game intelligence or just like just tuned into what I don't think he's an elite player essentially, and but I do think you would get an elite fee for him. And if Man United need to rebuild the squad, I think he would be the one I would be. He's the most saleable asset, and I don't think he's that good really when it comes down to it. Um, so Rashford would be one I'd be looking what, to. What I'd say in that Rashford one that you said um, about, I probably wouldn't agree with you is. In a few months, you might get me on side. Okay, I'll just say that is. <laughs> I, I need more, okay? I, I need to see more. And and I think that's that's what we're all saying is we need more. And uh but but yeah. If you ask me a question in a few months and we'll yeah. see. It's just like it's not even like again, I saw you guys from something I wrote a couple of years ago. I was like I think you know you need to create a market for this guy to sell him because I don't think he is I don't think he's an elite level footballer um at all. And I know I know he'll have grace he'll have great little spells where he's scoring lots of goals and like last year, he had a great purple patch, and and he's a homegrown player. Like these are the players you want to keep, but also you need to be ruthless about these things. And I I don't think his status warrants his build his, stat, his ability doesn't warrant the status he has mm. on the pitch. And his body language stuff hasn't been great, and he just doesn't look interested the last while. And I do question then is his attitude right? Because if he's like that on the pitch, what's he like in training? Like I doubt he's a bag of laughs in training if he's not really kind of mucking in in during the match and he's very frustrating to watch and it's just hard I don't think any player can even link up with him because it's just the same thing again head down shoots and that's what it looks like to me and the last one will be God like can you can I combine a few Kieran like I think the players like Varane and Casemiro who I like both of them but it's not 2016 and it's not Real Madrid they're on big contracts they are I've had to push you to choose one though um, which one to get rid of Casemiro. first let's say maybe Casemiro because I think central midfield you know, like that's where your best players have to be and I don't think Casemiro has looked really really off at this season I know he's injured now till Christmas like so I, I think last season was great he got out of him but I would be pushing Casemiro at the door but honestly there's so many more now. sorry Wambasaka or Gideon Wambasaka only is good enough Um, God you'd be there all day like really would but I think Wambasaka's been good, to be honest. I, but in, let's imagine this idealised version, Nate, of Man United. He is not an elite level right back. Like, you'll keep him as yeah. a stopgap. He has been grand, better than Dallow, who has been switching off a lot. But let's imagine, what do we want Man United to be? I just don't see how he fits into that. Nate. And then, oh God, there's so many. There really is. Nate, you're three to get rid of yesterday. Yeah, I'll, I'll start on the same foot as as uh, Rob. I'll say um, Harry Maguire. I think mm-hmm. 
you know, recently I've been seeing a bit more from him, but I just think culture wise, just reset the culture. You know, too too much has happened there, in my opinion. Um, I'd, I'd get him out the door first. Mm-hmm. Scott McTominay would be second. Um, I've never seen a player play hide and seek more on a football pitch than that that man. <laughs> I can't I can't can't speak any amount of times that I'm shouting at my TV. Go go look for the ball, like literally playing hide and seek on the pitch. Like I, I I don't even know if I've seen any other player in world football do it to the level that he's done it. Um, I know he can pop up with the odd goal here and there, but for me. I want to see more mid, like more on the ball stuff from my midfielders. Um, so he'd be next, mm-hmm. and um, Jaden Sancho. Um, about time. I, he came I, up. Think, <laughs> I, I think yeah. I I think that one's quite self-explanatory. Um, you know, it's not hard to say sorry, even if you don't really mean it. Um, yeah, that goes without saying. Yeah, just be gone. And I I take quite a harsh view on it. Is like if you can be bothered enough to say sorry to put on a red jersey and go out and play for for Manchester United you don't deserve to be there in the first place so you know I think just over that period of what's happened he's disrespected the club too much in my opinion Um, so he'd be gone in a heartbeat to be honest I'd probably move him to first actually (laughs) just because I think it is unforgivable to to be fit and what happened is such an isolated thing to knock out and play for the club. It's like you don't even want to be there in the first place. You're just picking up a paycheck. So, so that'd be my opinion on it. Now, um, I'm going to get you. I'm Robbie. I'm going to start with you. Uh, pick one position that you like. The first position you'd want to strengthen, and give us maybe an option or two that you would be trying to target. Oh God! Well, for one for years, I always wanted was Kane, but that's gone. It would have to be central midfield. Mm. Um, you might have having, like we talked about their record buying players has been terrible, but their record of buying midfielders is just, it's beyond terrible. It, there's no words for it. Like they've, I think Michael Carrick in 2006 was probably the last really good midfielder he bought. And I'm not counting Bruno in that. I think he's more of a forward type player, but I mean, actual central midfielders, I think like it's been proven this season where like he doesn't want to start him because he might not be able to get you the whole match, um, Ericsson, But Ten Hag has no choice but to bring him in because he's one of the only players who can hit forward passes. Like, so I don't have anyone off the top of my head because most of the really good ones are playing for City and Liverpool, like, but and Arsenal. But central midfield would definitely be my first place to actually strengthen the team because they just haven't had anyone decent there in a long time. Nice. Pick, pick a position that you think is needs to be strengthened right now and maybe a, a person or two that you'd like. Um, I'd agree with Rob that the first position is C- um, CDM. I, I think probably, although I do love Casemiro, um, it's probably the point that we need to get someone younger in there. Um, but I will throw a different position out, just as mine, just to spice it up a bit. Um, right centre back I think we need an upgrade there and I've got my man I want Araujo from Barcelona that's who I want mm. to partner um, Martinez I think he's an absolute beast and I think he's he's a quality player um, and I paid him money to get him so that's who I want there nice okay um, yeah I- interesting selection lads um, do we think that these moves so we have either Michael Edwards or Paul Mitchell or a combination of both in directorship. Um, 
we have some potentially bad eggs or aging players moved on. Um, we have some positions strengthened. Is that enough to kind of change the culture around the theater dreams? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, like, I've, I've been sold that many false hopes that I really don't know. Um, one of the things I'd actually throw at you, Killian, because you love the management side of football, mm. is how much of a role do you think a new CEO plays in the changing of Manchester United? Because that's a position that we haven't touched on, is a new CEO. How much of a... I think it's massive. I think, um, as you kind of said before, uh the fish rots from the head like if you have a ceo that like i think one of the issues with man united in the past and i know we kind of touched on ferguson kind of basically being the success and demise of man united all in one um you you basically leave him to run the footballing end of things because he was from the olden days kind of just taught to trust that you look after football, we look after business, and that's just the way it is. You do the signings and all that because that's just part of football. Now that's slightly changed because um, players are now seen more as assets as they, than just um, a sporting entity. So, like, if you have, um, and I know his name is going to be bandied around, but like, look at it like a Toto Wolf, like having somebody like that, that kind of charismatic, very knowledgeable person, kind of heading up a team. Well, then you don't have to worry about what's happening above you. Like, I, I'm sure we've all we've all been in positions and jobs and stuff where it's kind of like, if you don't have confidence in the people above you, you don't kind of concentrate on what you're doing because you're kind of worried about what they're doing. You spend some time watching them. And I think if you look at Man United now, Ten Hag, I don't think, trusts Murta. Um, so he's got to be trying to keep an eye on signings and all that rather than focusing on... Um, on like just coaching i think he's he's worried about what's happening with the ownership he's worried about what's what the ownership are going to say about his actions more so than worrying about the actions he's going to take whereas if you have somebody that kind of is there going listen don't worry we know you we trust you to make the right decisions if we don't like your decision we'll call you in but that'll be between us like if you have a ceo that's willing to roll with the punches to a certain point that is knowledgeable enough that you don't have to doubt their credentials um like if you look at woodward you don't get doubt his commercial credentials but then when he's the one trying to make football decisions well then you're going to have a question mark over everything he does because it's kind of going did you just look this guy up on fifa and just check his overall like that kind of piece that's coming out like I think a CEO cannot be un- understated. Um, it's it'll be. I think that could actually be more important than a sporting director ultimately in Radcliffe's tenure because ultimately it'll be the CEO that the sporting director is answerable to. So if they don't get along, you could have a Ranyak come in and be a genius, but if he's not going to get a, along with the guy that's either allocating the funds or allowing him the... Uh, like if Ranyak came in tomorrow realistically he's going to want to get rid of Ten Hag as soon as possible and get in a player a, a manager that plays the style of football that he that he wants the team to play the one that he believes in and if you have a CEO that doesn't back your sporting director in that way it's doomed from the beginning so 
it would be very, very, very interesting to see who Ratcliffe come, brings in. Um, it'd be interesting to see their background because I think this is one where you don't necessarily need a footballing one. You just need a a kind of person that's going to come in and just listen and kind of go, right, make, yeah. the, make the case. Tell me why I should spend 100 million. Oh, well, the player does this, this and this. Yeah, but Brighton just signed this guy. Is Do we have that kind of an option? They go, no, not for us. Right then. I've listened. I'm going to make a decision based on our finances and based on what uh, my sporting director is telling me or what I, I know. Um, I think if you have that kind of a position in Man United, you see a lot change. Whereas I think, as you said about uh, Joel trying to play a football manager, I think you have a lot of people that's trying to justify their own jobs. So rather than being willing to admit when they don't know or they don't have confidence in the decision and kind of go, listen, I'm Darren Fletcher. I was a footballer five years ago. Um, don't ask me about these big, like don't ask me about transfer fees or like wages or whatever, because I'm going to have a slightly different view to what like a business should. I think you have these guys that are there that are kind of going, if I don't speak up here or if I say I don't know, well then they're going to be looking to replace me. That's not a good working environment um, regardless. And that's like... Working environment is one thing. And then what that means for a football club, because football, I think, is kind of connected to, like, say, the work that we do in social media and stuff, where it's that kind of, like, you do need an element of creativity. And if you're not in a good headspace, you're not going to be creative. And I think football is that kind of same thing. So, yeah, I think you're you're dead right. We, we should have touched on CEO, but maybe a little bit more. And I don't know if you agree with me, but um, I, I think... Uh, Casemiro be damned let's focus on <laughs> who's, who's going to come in <laughs> I I think um, Total Wolf is such a name that, that jumps out at me mm. um, I really do think he'd be perfect for that role not only because of his charisma and his his just ability to, to get on with pretty much anyone it's um, like when, when you look at what he's done in Formula 1 um, he's truly re- like changed that team from, from when, when it came in like um he took over at a regulation change when it was basically starting from scratch. Mm. This is what this United project is, starting from scratch. And I think he's been in F1 that long that I think moving to a new project like United, he has working ties with Jim Radcliffe at Mercedes as well. They're business partners. So I I think it is a bit of a match made in heaven if, if they were going to go down that route. Like, these aren't, um, aren't going to get him, but having him associated... I know. Is yeah, that I think I'd love that's to see him enough. Involved. I think that genuinely just having him associated is enough because it makes yeah. you kind of go, oof. So that's where they're getting their advice. Imagine that what the quality of people that are making the decision. Yeah, exactly. So I'd love to see him involved in some way, but I I do agree with you that the CEO is probably the pillar you're going to build on, and arguably the 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 biggest decision. And that's where ultimately, as you. Nathan you said earlier about the Glazers clause like if they come in and take control in two years time when everything's going rosy do they topple that pillar and does it all start again Robbie oh god like I just I don't know I think on one level as I was saying I'm glad it's not Qatar I really am glad I don't want United being bought by a state I don't think they need to I, I'm willing to give um, Radcliffe the benefit of the doubt I like that the Glazers are taking their are according to reports, are you going to step away from the football side of it? But I still worry that like they're still there, <laughs> and they've undermined managers and they've undermined 
players. So who's to say he won't undermine Radcliffe? So I'm um, still a bit cautious about it. Right, lads. We're coming to the end of the show very, very rapidly. Um, I'm going to really put you on the spot as if I haven't already. Um, Nathan, your predictions for Man United for the rest of the year? The season, mm. not not just the calendar year. Um, where do you think they're going to finish uh, on the table? How, what do you think the mood is going to be like by season's end? Um, fortunately, I think we'll be playing Europa League football next season. Um I just want a steady end to the season. You know that I'm. I feel like the season's already a bit ruined now. Um, I just want to to get the ship even now and just just glide in. Do 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 sort out the stuff that needs to be sorted with the club this season, and let's start next season. Crack on, Robbie. Your prediction? Same. I I do think the standard at the top of the end of the Premier League this season seems to be too high. I think United. You know, I'd like them even to get through to the last 16 in the Champions League just avoid the Europa League for as long as possible although the final is in Dublin this year so maybe I should this isn't a bad season for them to get there but I think t- the results will start to steady um, I don't think they'll be in the top four though and I do think when Radcliffe comes in I think it'll be continuity for the first while with the view to maybe things start to change next summer but it could be another rebuild next summer anyway I'm going to go a little bit rogue on my prediction, which doesn't have any validity or uh, anybody you should really care about. But I reckon there won't be any continuity because I, I think with the Glazers still being there, Radcliffe will be under pressure to make some big and bold changes. So you'll have like a mass exodus of the the likes of an Aaron, the likes of a Murta. You'll have his own people coming in. Uh, I think there could be a potential little bit of a, a clash with Ten Hag in the sense that why waste any time with a guy like if they see in the first week or two that it's just not kind of gelling well why bother wasting time and you can't imagine that they don't have names on a list waiting for him to go and i think um regardless of whether or not they're state-owned um you don't you don't be in the petrol chemical industry without some Middle Eastern ties, and I reckon your best friend is going to be the Saudi Arabian League because Casemiro, that man, has it written all over him. He's going to yes. love playing in front of six hundred people, and two hundred million bid loading. Oh, yeah. like it's it's. I think that is going to be genuinely a a business strategy of because you you have no other option. Nobody else is going to pay the wages that you have. Um forget the fee like just get rid of them get get them gone at where you're not paying half their wages or three quarters of the wages with uh, with some of them um and i think he's will have a very rocky end of the season i don't think he's gonna reach europe um j- more more so on the strength of other teams like when you look at the likes of uh, villa and newcastle putting up to the more traditional kind of big six teams um only for the weakness of Chelsea, I think he might be within the running um, on the face of it. Um, and I think that you still have a team that will be very raggedy by the end of the end of the year, just waiting for the new players to come in. And that'll give you a nice, clean slate to work from. So what you're saying is, Jane Sanchez heading to the Saudi League. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what I'm saying. They all are. They're all going. <laughs> um, but gentlemen, my crystal ball is put away, as is, as is yours. Uh, we've come to the end of our show. I want to thank you very much for your, your knowledge. And um, I can only wish you the best for the coming years um, under Glazer's ownership as it continues. Um, I've been killing Ginnity for not up on it. And my thanks to Robbie Rippend. Thanks, lads. And my thanks to Nathan Byrne. Thank you. We'll chat you again next week. Give us a follow on social. Do all that stuff. And we'll talk to you then. Bye. I'm not into podcasts. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Oh! What a hit! Back of the net.